0: Good morning, morning. welcome to Clear Creek, so glad that you've joined us on this special day. Now if you're not a regular, you don't understand, but the Clear Creekers know, you know it's a special day because I tucked in my shirt, (laughs) so you know it's a big day. Really glad that you've come with us today and and just really pray that God speaks to all of us and encourages us in this hour. I love that video and I've used it before, but it does such a good job of making clear why we believe Jesus is such a big deal. And also, because he's God's means of making things right in the world around us, he's making things right in us. And when you know that background, when you understand why Jesus had to die, then it helps us understand why the resurrection is such a big deal, too. The resurrection is a big deal historically, it's a big deal anthropologically, like civilizations have been shaped by that singular event. But that's not where the true importance lies. For us today. The more important question isn't what what does the resurrection mean culturally or historically, but what does the resurrection mean personally? How does or how can the resurrection of Jesus matter to your life today? And I would say it matters today because sometimes when we wake up we have more questions than we do answers. We have more doubt. Than certainty. We have more dread than hope. But it doesn't have to be that way. In the New Testament, a man named Mark was a traveling companion of Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends and an early leader in the church in Jerusalem. And as Peter went about and preached and told stories of his time with Jesus, Mark wrote them down because he wanted this good news to reach a broader audience. And in the final chapter, the climax of his story about Jesus, he tells us about three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, and what happened in their lives on the morning of the resurrection. And my hope, my prayer for this morning is that this wouldn't just be a nice story about some people in some other place at some other time, but I pray that we'll all see ourselves in their story and find the same joy and the same hope, and the same purpose they found. But before we get to Sunday morning, we need to spend some time on Friday when they watched their friend die. Because right up until that day, maybe until his final cry, they had thought, they had hoped, they had dared to believe he was so much more. He was the deliverer. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. But surely the Son of God wouldn't be flogged and spat upon and mocked. Wouldn't let his name be blasphemed. The Son of God couldn't die on a Roman execution stake surrounded by criminals and Gentiles, could he? So maybe they'd been wrong to believe. Maybe he'd been wrong to let them believe. Regardless, they were going to do one last thing to honor him, to thank him for loving and valuing them in a way no one ever had. They thought he at least deserved that. So Saturday night, as soon as the sun set on that long Sabbath, a day of rest that mocked their pain, that only magnified their despair, Mary, Mary, and Salome bought spices so they could go to anoint the body of Jesus. And in Mark 16, verse 2, it says, Very early, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? Now I think by this time they've cried themselves dry. They're done talking about what they'd thought and what they'd believed and what they'd hoped. Because when hope dies... You want to bury it and forget it as quickly as possible. So they turned their attention to practical matters, to what needed to be done. How are we going to get into the tomb to do the job we've come to do? I mean, there's a stone sealing the grave, and we're not strong enough. All the men we know are in hiding. We're on our own. Verse 4, though, says, But when they looked up, And I think that's such a telling phrase because can't you just see them as they approach the tomb, the weight of their grief bending their faces toward the ground. They're unable or unwilling to confront the stark reality in front of them, unwilling to have the horror of the past couple days come flooding back. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Eugene Peterson said, they expected to have to deal with a big problem, but there's no problem. They expected to do an important and essential job, but there's no job to do. Everything they were worried about, every bad outcome they had imagined, the monumental task they were approaching with dread was taken care of. It was already done. Now we'll come back to that idea. Verse 5, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Well, why were they alarmed? Because they didn't expect. They weren't looking for They didn't have a conception of resurrection. John tells us the only thing that fit their understanding of how the world works was it must be grave robbers. It must be vandals. There was no other reason for any other man to be in the tomb of Jesus. But don't be alarmed, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. Yeah, he died. You saw it happen. And then he shared the good news that they couldn't believe. None of the, none of the disciples believed on their first hearing, and for some on their second hearing, and for some, and not until they saw and touched Jesus themselves. He said, He has risen. He's not here. Look, see the place where they laid him. Now go tell his disciples and Peter he's going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you ladies you have a new job you have a new task because it's a new day so go tell the others go see Jesus and he says so they went out and started running from the tomb and I like to think they traded their work boots for running shoes it's time to go because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. Now, when Mary, Mary, and Salome woke up that morning, assuming they'd slept at all the night before, what did it say consumed them? All they could think about was the problems they faced and the job they had to do. How do we move the stone? And that was quite a literal question. The tomb was a cave cut into the hillside and in front of the In front of the cave was a sloped track, and they would take this large stone and roll it down in, and it would settle in, and then it was sealed. It was an obstacle they did not have the means to surmount. But it's interesting. Even though they knew they couldn't move the stone and didn't have a way to do it, they kept going. They had to try something. And maybe this is a word you need to hear this morning. Maybe you're trudging along in the dark and your eyes are down and there's a stone ahead of you and you have no idea how you're supposed to move it. Your marriage is in a place you never thought it would be. You have a child facing challenges and you don't have the wisdom you need to guide them through. You have to confess to something and you know that once you do, nothing's going to be the same again. You're grieving a loss, and you're not sure you can make it another day. You wake up every day with the same question. How am I going to get past this? I don't think I can. I want you to hear me. Easter Sunday tells us there's no rock too big for God to move for you. What's impossible for you? is possible for him. And this isn't just, oh, I can do all things positive self-talk. This is, I'm just going to keep moving forward and wait to see what God might have already done. And I want to say to you, lift your head, look up, see beyond how big the stone is and see how big our God is. When the women reached the tomb and when they looked up, They discovered that God had already done for them more than they ever dared hope or dream or ask or imagine or pray. The resurrection, the bodily, physical, literal resurrection of Jesus rewrote the rules about what's real, about what's possible. The Apostle Paul was talking about resurrection and the hope we have because of resurrection. And here's what he said. So we don't focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen, the barriers, the obstacles, the challenges, the anxieties, the fears, what is seen is temporary, but what's unseen is eternal, it's real. The resurrection of Jesus isn't merely a doctrine or an ideal It's the birth of a new way of living. N.T. Wright said, Jesus of Nazareth ushers in not simply a new religious possibility, not simply a new ethic or a new way of salvation, but a new creation. And yet, when the women went running from the tomb, trembling and astonished... Mark concludes his gospel with these words. Now, there are more words in your Bible that are probably italicized, and they say, we think this was tacked on later because somebody didn't like the way Mark ended. The way Mark apparently ended his gospel was, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The end. Afraid they wouldn't be believed? Afraid the same people who had killed Jesus would come after them? Afraid maybe we misunderstood? Yes, all of the above. And I think Mark concluded his gospel that way so we could see ourselves in that story too because sometimes that's all we have. I'm trembling, I'm astonished, I'm afraid. Now, we know from the other accounts that the women eventually made their way to the disciples with the news, but it didn't change them immediately either. They were afraid too. They came ran, looked in the tomb, and then went back to hiding, looking for ways out of town. I mean, when Jesus died, it was game over. And even after seeing Jesus alive, it was weeks later when God sent the Holy Spirit before Peter finally stood up and proclaimed the good news. Jesus is alive, and then it was game on. I so appreciate what Craig shared at Communion. He pretty much had my whole message encapsulated in two minutes. That was a good job. <laughs> Belief in the resurrection of Jesus isn't just wishful fairy tale thinking. It is a reasonable thing, on a sincere examination of the records which exist, to conclude that there was a historical person named Jesus who was reportedly crucified on a Roman cross. And his followers did believe and proclaim that he rose from the dead, even at the cost of their own lives. They were willing to die, not for what they believed. Lots of people will do that. But they were willing to die for what they said they saw. And so just a few weeks later, to the very men responsible for putting Jesus to death, they stood up with one message. You killed him, but God raised him up. So you can't stop us, you can't silence us, you can kill us, but our blood will call out from the ground that Jesus is alive. The resurrection of Jesus was the central message of the early church. Over 100 times in the New Testament, in every book, in every sermon recorded in the book of Acts, the writers and the preachers pointed to that one point in history when Jesus rose from the dead. And in their sermons and in their teaching and in their writings, the resurrection is connected to forgiveness, breaking bonds to the past. The resurrection is tied to salvation, giving hope for the future. But again and again and again, the resurrection empowers God's people to face whatever trouble or danger or whatever power might be aligned against them, to face it without fear, even death no longer held any power over them. So maybe this is the word you need to hear today. There's no fear too great for God to overcome. And good grief, do we live in a world dominated by fear? I've shared this before. The average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Our world is dominated by fear, but we don't have to live that way. The resurrection gives us power to overcome fear. So you ask, what difference can Easter make for me in my day to day life? Well, you tell me, what difference would it make to know pain doesn't win, cancer doesn't win, infidelity doesn't win? not getting into your choice of college, not getting the job you wanted, not finding someone to spend your life with, whatever it is you're afraid might happen, guess what? It might happen. But that's not the totality of your story because of Jesus. Even death, the one great fear everyone wants to avoid, death no longer has the final word because overwhelming victory can be ours in Jesus Christ because he conquered death. So what do we have to fear? I want to read the words of Paul, describing what it means to live in light of the resurrection, to focus on the unseen and the eternal and the real, even when confronted with the worst life can throw at you every day. And as I read, there are some words in orange, and I want you to say those words with me when we get there. From 2 Corinthians 4, he says, we've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. And then listen to this. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture Mockery and murder, what Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. So understand, God doesn't deliver us from every trouble. But the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus demonstrate his ability to deliver deliver us through our trials, through difficulty, through pain, even through death. So Paul continued, that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Jesus is alive forever. And ever and ever, and that ultimately is the basis for our hope. Now, thinking back to the video we watched at the beginning, I want to offer this final word that some of you might need to hear. I mean, there's no rock too big for God to move, there's no fear too great for God to overcome, and there's no sin too awful for God to forgive. Now, maybe you think, well, David, you don't know my sin. My vandalism has left its mark. It has stained me. It has stained those around me so deeply. No way could it ever be washed away. Well, I want you to notice a detail from the tomb. As the women stood there and the angel shared the great news, look, he's not here. He's risen Then he said, Go and tell the disciples and Peter to go to Galilee. Jesus wants to see them. Tell Peter, who had so confidently declared, I would never desert you, Jesus, I'll die with you. And then he denied even knowing him. And again, and again. Imagine the guilt, the regret, the shame of knowing he, he blew his chance. How do you come back from that? Go and tell the disciples, and Peter, Jesus wants to see you. Your slate's wiped clean. It's a new day. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Well, here's how Peter described it in his own words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, like we sang, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I've been made new, I've been forgiven. So understand the resurrection of Jesus. Easter Sunday isn't just something for shiny, happy church people. In fact, it's it's for the opposite. It's for people who've run out of hope, who've run out of options, who've taken too many wrong turns and just can't see a way back. And that's all of us. The prophet Isaiah said, we all like sheep Have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his or her own way. None of us deserves the kindness of God. And yet, Isaiah says, the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, the offering of atonement. He's laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Forgiveness is possible. How can we know that's true? Well, if Jesus had died some substitutionary death and stayed dead, we'd just have to take his word for it. Well, I don't feel forgiven, but he said so. Well, But when Jesus rose again, when death and decay were reversed in a way that they hadn't been for anyone else ever, Then a new creation was revealed and we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt we can know that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He has the power to restore life. He is able to make us new. So it comes down to this. In John 11, at the tomb of his friend Lazarus who was soon to be raised, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die, even though we will in this life, we won't. And then he asked the question we all have to answer. Do you believe this? Jesus promised I will never leave you I will never forsake you. I am with you, even in your fear and doubt and uncertainty and sin. I will never leave you if you'll just trust me. Let me be with you. In Romans 10, the Apostle Paul, who sinned worse than anybody in the Bible almost, Found mercy, found grace, forgiveness, found a clean start in the resurrected Jesus. And here's what Paul wrote If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from facing challenges alone that you don't have the strength to overcome because there's no rock too big for God to move. Saved from living a life paralyzed by fear when you realize that nothing you're afraid of is too great for God to overcome. But more than that, saved from the eternal consequence of a life vandalized by sin, a life far from God when you realize there is no sin too awful for God to forgive. And if that could make a difference in your life, if you want to know what it means to believe, to follow, to trust in Jesus, we'd love to walk with you and help you find your way to a new birth and a living hope in him. Here's a challenge, Mother's Day is in 5 weeks and mom wants you to come back to church anyway. Come for the next five weeks. We're going to be talking about what it means to be a people of God who've been changed by his amazing grace and the people he calls us to be. Come and explore with us. Reach out. Grab me. Grab somebody you've seen on stage, somebody you know that goes to this church. And say, I want to know more. Let's take some steps together. We'd love to walk with you through that. As the worship team comes up, I just want to close by praying a prayer from Ephesians over you this morning and pray that you would receive the good news that Jesus is alive, not as a historical moment in time, but as a daily reality in your life. Let's pray. God, may our hearts be flooded with light so that we can understand the confident hope you have given us through Jesus. God, I pray that we will understand the incredible greatness of your power for all who believe you. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. And God, that power at work in us is able to accomplish immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So God, I pray that we would know you we would trust you. We would follow you. We would believe in you. We would live with you, not just as a future hope for someday somewhere else, but as a present reality here today. God, we thank you. We praise you that Jesus is alive. God, may he live and us. We pray in his name.